gridiron, there's action on the college gridiron, and then, of course, in the NFL. The Bears had a glorious win last week. That's right, exactly, as they played against the Detroit Lions, and it came down to the last 24 seconds, and Sean Hill, the Detroit quarterback, dropped back, and he saw Kelvin Johnson going toward the end zone. He put it up, and it appeared that Kelvin Johnson caught the ball. It appeared that he had both feet in the end zone. It appeared that he placed the ball down. But appearances can be deceiving. That's right, because it wasn't a complete pass because of some obscure rule that it took the commentators quite a long time to explain. So therefore, the Bears won the game. And that just shows you how good the Bears are. Right? I mean, they can win on obscure rules. They can imagine Kelvin Johnson running down the field just filled with joy, with an earthly type of joy, saying, I just won the game for the Detroit Lions. And that's, that's quite a feat right there. Uh, but I just won our first season game, and he's just high-fiving everybody, and then all of a sudden, he hears that that's not the fact. So he goes from this incredible joy to despair. And that really is the nature of earthly joy. Now, earthly joy is great. I mean, we have earthly joy when we have a win like that, when we get a promotion, when we get married, uh, when we fall in love, when we have a baby. There's all different times when we experience earthly joy. But the problem with earthly joy is that it's fleeting. It's just there for a moment. And then it's taken away. Well, as we begin this series, get the joy we're going to be talking about a different type of joy. Not earthly joy, but supernatural joy. The only joy that comes from God. A joy that can be with us in the good and the challenging times. And the way we're going to unpack this is we're going to look at the book of Philippians. It was a letter, like all the books in the New Testament, a letter written by someone to a group or an individual and in this situation, it was Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and he was writing to the church of Philippi. And they were the church that he started ten years before that, and he hadn't seen them since then. Along with him uh, was uh, Timothy. And the interesting thing about this book is that most of the New Testament books uh, that Paul wrote were in answer to a doctrinal problem where the church had some false teacher come in and lead them astray from the truth of God's Word. So Paul had to, had to write a letter to correct them. Where Philippi, well, that wasn't the case. Uh, there was no doctrinal error that needed to be corrected. It really was a thank you note, an extended thank you note, a 104-verse thank you note for a financial gift that he gave. And he includes some wonderful things in there about his own life and how he experienced this supernatural joy in his life. Uh, it says the word, or has the word joy five times in it, and has the word rejoice nine times in it. So it's the most concentrated package about joy that we see in Scripture. 
And we're looking forward to digging into it in this Get the Joy series. Let's look at the introduction. Philippians 1.1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants, or really the word is slaves, of Christ Jesus. So Paul, we know, was initially Saul, who was persecuting the church, killing Christians, and then we see his encounter with Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road, where his life was transformed. And he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Instead of persecuting Christians, he became a primary supporter of Christ's followers. And he became the leader of the early church. And then we see Timothy, who was Paul's protege. He had mentored Timothy. And Timothy traveled with Paul quite a bit. And Timothy uh, was a person who had been at the church at Philippi, knew the people there, and he was most likely writing down what Paul was dictating in this letter, and Timothy was going to deliver it to the people in Philippi. So therefore we see Paul and Timothy writing this letter together, and they are servants of Christ Jesus, or slaves of Christ Jesus. Now we're thinking, who wants to be a slave of anybody? That doesn't sound very attractive. But friends, when you become in relationship or become a Christ follower, when you enter into that relationship and when you experience the joy of obeying Christ and submitting to His Lordship, there's nothing more than you want to be. It's just to be His slave. You're owned by Him. He bought you with a price. And all you want to do is live for Him. All you want to do is fulfill His plan. It's the most satisfying thing that you can find in this life. And so they're saying, we're just slaves. Now, in other epistles, we'll see that Paul claims apostleship because he was trying to drive home a particular truth, but not in this one. He says, hey, we're just slaves. We're nothing special. We're no stars here. We're just slaves of Jesus Christ doing His work. In Philippians 1, verse 2, it says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Now, wait a second. This early in church history, they were canonizing people? <laughs> well, no. When he says to all the saints, he's saying to all the believers, to all those people who put, put their faith in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. What does a saint mean? It means somebody who's put aside for a special holy purpose. Put aside for a special holy purpose. And that's what a believer is. If Jesus Christ has transformed your life, you now have a special purpose in life. To live a holy life and to do God's work. So from now on, I'd like you to call me St. Dan. Right? St. Dan. And uh, if you'd like, if you're a Christ follower, I'll call you St. Mark and uh, St. Becky and St. Kathy and St. Chris, or whatever. You know, I mean, we're all saints, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. So he addresses the saints, he addresses uh, the leadership, and he gives the common greeting in that day among Christians Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is something we don't deserve, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And peace is a supernatural peace that takes place even when we shouldn't be experiencing peace. So two gifts that God gives us. Now, 
my desire for you and myself as we study through the book of Philippians is that our joy might be multiplied. What kind of percentage do you have on that supernatural joy? Not earthly joy, it's good joy, but it's not the best joy. What percentage of supernatural joy do you experience on a weekly basis? You might say, well, 1%, 5%, 10%. We want to multiply that. We want to double it. We want to quadruple it. We want to see your joy increased through this series. And I encourage you to fully engage with this series. I challenge each of you to read the book of Philippians through every week. It's only 104 verses. It's not very long at all. But read it through each week. Buy commentaries if you'd like in the book. Go on the internet. Find resources on Philippians and study up on it in preparation for our Sunday morning services. Bring your Bibles, okay? Bring your Bibles to church as we study through this material together. And you're even going to experience more joy the more you commit yourself to this book and what God has to say to you through it. Now, every weekend, we're going to be talking about a different area of your life and how you can infuse supernatural joy into it. And today we're going to be talking about relationships. Joyful relational principles. What's the first one? The first one is to be thankful for people. Be thankful for people. Philippians 1.3 I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember you. We need to be thankful for people. Now, our typical M.O. with people is if people are supportive of us, if they are encouraging of us, if they are, again, behind us in what we're doing. We're, we're appreciative. We might not say it, but those people are great. But if a person is not encouraging, if they're not supportive of what we're doing, if they're a barrier, well, that's very frustrating. That will just suck the joy right out of us. And what we tend to do is we spend most of our time thinking about those people that are keeping us from what we want to accomplish. That's a typical thing we do. But again, God is asking us to do this supernatural thing. And that is to be filled with thanksgiving. To be filled with thanksgiving for the people, first of all, who are supporting us, who are encouraging us, who are behind us. To tell people, thank you for, for, for being behind me, for, for being there. There are many people that Paul was thankful for in the church at Philippi, and we'll get to know some of them as we study through the book. You can read Acts chapter 16 for more information on Paul's time in Philippi. But one of the things he was thankful for was for Lydia. Now, Paul was a church planter. And what he would do is he would go into a particular city or village, and he would preach at the synagogue. And there he would recruit people, he would evangelize people to this new church. Well, they didn't have a synagogue in Philippi. So he met with Lydia, a color, excuse me, a, uh, a person who sold uh, a fabric uh, that was purple, and that was her business. And she was one of the key people that started the church at Philippi. So he was thankful for her. And 
I was thinking about that because today, this weekend, is the 14th anniversary of our body together. Fourteen years ago, we started out at Lake in the Hills Elementary School off of Pyatt Road. And we met there for three years, and then we went to Jacobs High School, where we spent six and a half years, and in January will be five years in this beautiful new facility. And as I reflect back, all I can do is thank God. Let's thank God right now, huh? Fourteen years of faithfulness. Isn't God wonderful? He has been so faithful to our ministry. He has been so consistent. He has provided leaders. He's provided volunteers. He's provided financial resources. He's provided, most importantly, His Spirit that's worked throughout our fellowship. And uh, we just need to, to praise Him today and thank Him for how He has changed so many different lives. Hundreds of people have come into a personal relationship uh, through the lighthouse that He established. Thousands of people's of lives have changed as they've grown deeper in their relationship with Jesus Christ. So when we think about Lydia, uh, that causes me to be so thankful for everybody, the people that have come and gone, the people that are still here, the people that are new. I'm thankful for everyone and how God's used them in His ministry here. So, He's thanking people that have blessed His life. Now, the flip side of that is thanking people who are difficult in your life. Now, that's where you need the Spirit. And what I want to say is, don't try these things without the Spirit, like they say on TV. Don't try these things on your own. You need the Spirit of God, because if you try to be thankful for difficult people in your life, you're going to be frustrated. You need to follow the Spirit. You need the Spirit to fill you with the power to love unlovable people, to be thankful for unlovable people. So that's one of my challenges as you go into this week. First of all, thank somebody that's supporting you. Send them a note, send them an email, a voicemail, talk to them. Thank them for the blessing they've been in your life. And then thank God for someone in your life who is challenging. Thank God that He's has put that person there for a particular purpose. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, next week. So we need to be thankful for people. The second thing is we need to do God's work with people. We need to do God's work with people. We're reading Philippians 1, 4, and 5. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. He prayed a lot, right? In all my prayers. For all of you, he's praying for everybody, I always pray with joy. Is that indicative of our prayer lives? Well, certainly that's something that we seek to have as part of our regular prayer life with God. That type of involvement in praying for other people and being thankful for them. I pray with joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. So, why does He have joy? He has joy because of your partnership in the Gospel from the first day 
until now. Because of your, another word is fellowship. That's a very common word uh, that we have used uh, throughout the decades about relationships uh, with other Christians. And it really has been a misused word. It's been an abused word. Sometimes people think, well, just when two people get together, they have fellowship. Or other people think, well, when two Christians are together, they have fellowship. No, 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 no. The only time that you have fellowship with another believer is when you are focused on the partnership that you have in the Gospel. When you are focused on growing in your relationship with God. Small groups are a great example of that. When you're focused on your relationship with God, you're studying God's Word, you're discussing it, you're encouraging one another, you're challenging one another, you're praying together, that's all fellowship. Relationships are great. and They all have to be fellowship. But you only can call fellowship what it is, when it's focused around what God is doing. And that's where God promises a supernatural joy when we're working together in His vineyard, when we're doing what He desires us to do. Ministry is another example. We think of our Awana clubs here at Springbrook. When people are out here every Wednesday night loving kids, encouraging them, helping them to grow in Scripture, that's partnership in the Gospel. In fact, we need more Awana leaders. We have a lot of kids. We've had to stop taking new kids so please, if you're interested in checking that out and trying to first serve this coming one Wednesday night, please go to the welcome desk or write it on your communication card because we need more leaders to guide our children on Wednesday nights. This partnership in the Gospel, there's a richness to it that cannot be replaced by anything. Like I'd like uh, you in a moment, just wait just for one second, but... If you've been at Springbrook for more than 10 years, or going back to 2000, now you don't have to be, you know, exact about it, but if it's a general, you know, range of 10 years, I'd like you to stand up at this time. All right. Wonderful. Let's thank these people, okay? Let's thank them. They have been partners in the gospel for over 10 years here in our ministry. They have stuck with this family through the good times and the challenging times. And again, I'm thankful for everyone, but I just thought I'd illustrate it with people who've been here 10 years more. Uh, thank you for your love uh, for uh, this church. Thank you for your partnership in the Gospel. And when you talk about relationships... There is nothing more rich in a relationship than when you are working with another person to grow in your relationship with God and to do His work. So if you want to spice up your marriage, all right, you, know, you as a man and a wife get on the same page together if possible, depending upon uh, where people might be. But again, if you've been kind of low-key on spending time together and working together in the ministry and that type of thing, you want to elevate that because that's going to bring supernatural joy into your relationship. So do God's work with God's people. 
Now, let's talk a little bit about partnership in the Gospel. Partnership in the Gospel. What's a Gospel anyway? Well, we see it in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It's very succinctly stated. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is a Gospel. This is what we partner in. The fact that Jesus Christ was not just a man. He was just not a prophet. He was God Himself. And He died for our sins. Why did He need to die for our sins? Because we are sinners. And the penalty of sin is eternal punishment away from God. And and so therefore, uh, Jesus Christ... Uh, was sent by the Father because the Father loved us and He wanted to provide a way out of this punishment. And so Christ died on, on the cross for our sins. He took our place in order that we might not have to experience that punishment. And then it says that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. We know of no other religious leader, major religious leader, who was resurrected from the dead. And that's why we can have confidence in God. We can have confidence in the Gospel. And that's why the whole mission of our church is to tell people in our community that you can have peace with God. And the way that you can have peace with God is by going to God and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve to have a relationship with You, but because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me, And because I've accepted that and I've repented of my sin, I can be part of your family. I can be a Christ follower. I can be a believer. And it's when you make that decision that you become a part of His family. In fact, if you could take out this particular track, it's called Your Spiritual Journey. Everybody take that out from your program. just want to introduce you quickly uh, to this. And it's a very helpful tool to figure out where you are with God. Now, there's a continuum. If you look at the track, it goes from searchers to followers. And so on one end, you have not interested. On the other hand, you're living missionally. You're totally committed and you're slaves of God. And in the middle, you have the faith commitment. When you make that decision to accept that free gift of salvation. So take a look at that this afternoon and find out, okay, where am I at? And then answer the questions on the back side that can give you some more insights into where you might be. And you might be saying to yourself, well, I'm certainly not ready to become a Christ follower. But you might be saying, well, I'm, it's time. I'm ready. And it says there's a faith commitment. And it walks you through how you can make a commitment to God, how you can become a Christ follower. And there's a prayer there that you can pray that, again, includes the different elements of what it means to be a believer. And, again, I would encourage you to work through this, to talk uh, with a friend about it, to talk with somebody who maybe brought you, uh, talk to myself or one of our prayer team after the service, and we want to encourage you in your walk with God, in your spiritual journey. Now, you might be saying, well, I've been to church in a long time, and I have to figure this all out. Well, I'll tell you what. This is a place where you can have time. It's a safe place to explore 
who Jesus Christ is and what He means in your life. Well, let's continue on here. Do God's work with God's people. The third thing is believe God is at work in people. Philippians 1.6, it says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. This is such a rich verse. This is such a comforting verse. Being confident of this, that he who began, that word began, goes back to the idea of Old Testament sacrifices. When they began the sacrifice, a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That was a word that they used in the ending of the sacrifice until the day of Christ Jesus. So we see, first of all, Jesus Christ's sacrifice here. In fact, the word completion is the same type of word that Christ used when He said it is finished on the cross. So the point is that, that He who began a good work in you, when you make that decision to follow Christ as your Savior, that's when He begins the good work in your life. And what He begins... He will finish. God is not the one who will start something and then give up. No, no. Once He starts something, He is going to finish it in a person's life. Until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day that that person sees Christ Jesus, God will not stop being active in that person's life. God will not stop changing that person. God will not stop drawing that person to Himself. What an incredible promise that God is at work within us. Now, one thing I want to clarify here. There are some people that believe that you can become a Christ follower, and if you drift away from God far enough, you lose your salvation. You lose your salvation. Well, I don't believe the Bible teaches that. If we look at the next passage, and that's John chapter 10, 27 through 29. My sheep listen to my voice. This is Jesus talking about believers. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life with me, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. So we're in Jesus Christ's hand, right? My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So, if you have embraced Jesus Christ, not only are you in Jesus Christ's hand, but you are in God the Father's hand. And there is no more secure place than you can be. And answer this question. Who can take you out of Jesus' hand? Who can take you out of the Father's hand? Once the Holy Spirit has transformed your life, and you see the fruit of God in your life, you start to change, you have a desire for God, you are a Christ flower. You have the assurance of salvation. And you know that no matter what happens in your life, no matter what bad road you go down, no matter what sin you fall into, you are a child of God and you can count on the fact that you will see Jesus Christ and spend eternity with Him. That's why this verse is such a comforting verse to so many people. Because people are so confused today. The average response I get 
When I asked a question, if you died tonight, do you think you would go to heaven? I said, well, I'm not sure. I've been a pretty good person. And it's all about their behavior, about what they've done. It's about earning their way to heaven. We look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Grace saves you. Grace is something you don't deserve, but God gives it to you anyway because of His love for you. And it's not because of what you've done. We can never be good enough for God. We can't boast about our salvation. It's because it's a gift. God gives us a gift. He doesn't expect anything back. Now, certainly after you become a Christ follower, you're going to naturally want to do good works for God. Just like after you get married, you're going to want to naturally love your husband or your wife, but they are not the determining factor of whether you have that relationship or not. They're just a manifestation. So friends, if you made that decision, you know that you are Christ follower. Now, the key question, I guess, is have you made that decision yet or not? A lot of people think that they're Christians because they grew up in the United States of America. <laughs> or their family went to church, or they went through confirmation, or they try to live the right type of life. Well, friends, that's not what the Bible has to say about being a Christ follower. The only thing that makes you a Christ follower is when you come to God and you say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need help, or I'm going to spend an eternity of punishment. And I... I'm going to repent of my sin, and I'm going to receive this free gift of salvation that you have given to me. That's when a person becomes a Christ follower. Now, that's a decision. Now, that decision needs to be followed by fruit in a person's life. A lot of people make decisions like that, but they're not sincere decisions. And therefore, they make that decision, and they move on in life, and nothing happens. But if a person makes that particular decision and there is fruit that's born because of that decision, then you know that it was the real deal. Alright? So let's go back and look at our verse again. Philippians 1.6. It says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. There's two applications here. Number one, you might be at a point in your life where you are confused. You're wondering what God is doing. There was a time in your life when you came to the Lord and you were running fast, you were enjoying your relationship with Him, you were bearing fruit all over the place. And, but now, you're lost. You wonder if God cares about you anymore. God is concerned about you. If God is working in your life because everything is going Wrong! Well, friends, own the verse. God never stops working in your life even though it might appear that way. He never, ever stops working. And God hasn't changed. So the question I have to ask is, have you changed? You need to draw close. To God. And sometimes, of course, the emotions won't be there, but continue to draw close to Him, even in the midst of, of your pain. 
And He will show Himself eventually. He is working in your life. The second application of this, let's say you have a child that became a Christ follower and you saw the fruit in their life and you said, that kid, he is a Christ follower. And then over the years, through high school, college, they've drifted away, they don't go to church anymore, they're not engaged, they don't seem to care. And you wonder, wow, did they ever make that decision? Were they ever serious? Well, friends, if you saw the fruit early in their life, they did. And God is not finished with them yet. God is at work in that child's life, even though you cannot see any type of evidence whatsoever. Your child is not as happy as they seem. They're miserable because they're a Christ follower who's drifted from God. And the Holy Spirit's working on them. They might be resisting it, but I tell you what, they're going to come around at some point. And that can bring great comfort. Yeah, they might not be walking with God, but they're a child of God. God doesn't give up on us and say, oh, you're too much of a waste of time. No, once you're part of the family, God has committed to you as a father. And He is going to stick with you, and He's going to stick with your spouse, and He's going to stick with anybody else who's drifted away from God. And He's going to bring them back. You can count on that one. Alright? Isn't that encouraging? Huh? No doubt. Great stuff. Alright, well let's continue on. Another joyful relational principle is that we need to care about people. We look at Paul's heart here in Philippians 1, 7-8. It said, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the Gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how, long for, how I long for all of you with affection of Christ Jesus. A lot of people think Paul was a tough guy, a theologian, task-driven, didn't care about people. But you read this passage and you go, wow. He really cared about people. In fact, he, I don't know if he felt a little embarrassed about it. He said, it is right for me. In the original language, it's justified for me to feel like this. He's saying, listen, I know I'm getting kind of tender here and vulnerable, but hey, it's okay that I feel this way. I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. Now, back in that day, as many of you know, they didn't say, I have you in my heart. The center of emotional life was in the bowels, they believed. Now, that wouldn't work with a lot of contemporary love songs. I have you in my bowels. My bowels cry out to you. I give you my bowels, and I just wouldn't work. But the point being is that if you look at the original language, it can go either way. My, my heart, it says, uh, I have you in my heart. Or it could be, you have me in your heart. So it's talking about a relationship where he's committed to them and is the, he has the affection of Christ Jesus. He loved these people. And that's what we need to continue to grow in, in loving people. And that's hard to do, right? That's something you don't do on your own, right? You do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You say, Lord, it's so tough to love some people. Think about an unlovable person in your life. Think about an unlovable teenager. You continue to love them. You continue to sacrifice for them. You continue to do everything that you can to nurture that child, and all you get is pushback. All you get is attitude. All you get is rebellion. That takes the Spirit of God to love that child. Or maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a coworker. I don't know who it is in your life. But ask God this week to give you the supernatural love that will bring supernatural joy for that unlovable person in your life. The last thing is we need to pray for people. That will bring supernatural joy. Now when we pray for people, it's very common for us to pray for physical needs. To pray uh, for them if they're sick, if they're in the hospital, if they're having financial problems, or having other types of issues going on. But whenever you look at Paul's prayers, they always have to do with a person's spiritual life. And here is a great outline of how you can pray for anyone that you love in your life. Three things that you can pray for them. First of all, pray that they that their love would increase. Their love would increase. Philippians 1.9 And this is my prayer. So he starts to pray for them at this point. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So, you pray for your spouse. You pray for your kids. You, you pray for a friend. Lord, I pray that they would be filled with your love. And that they would have an informed love. Because if you're going to love somebody, you've got to get to know them first and know how they best receive love. And that's where it says, in knowledge and depth of insight. We don't have a blind love for everybody, but if we're going to really love a person, we need to get to know them and find out, okay, how can I show love to this particular person? So that's how you need to pray for a person that you care about. Help them to love other people. Help them to really study that person in order that they might know exactly how to reach out to that person. Wouldn't it be great if we were all abounding in love? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just had so much love flowing from the Spirit within us? I tell you, that, that's what God wants in our life. And that's how we need to pray for each other. The second thing that Paul prayed for them is that their wisdom would increase. Their wisdom would increase. Philippians 1.10, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Boy, <laughs> we all need wisdom, right? Life is so complicated. We have so many choices that we have to make on a daily basis. So when you're praying for that person, you pray that they would abound in love, and then you pray that they would abound in wisdom. And if you know this person well, you know the areas where they need wisdom. Lord, give them wisdom in their uh, marital relationship. Give them wisdom about the choice of a job. Give them wisdom in searching uh, for a job. Give them wisdom in managing their finances. Give them wisdom in managing uh, their emotional uh, challenges that they have. You know exactly how to pray for them. So you pray for love, that they would abound in that. You pray that they'd abound in wisdom. And finally, the model of Paul's prayer, that their maturity would increase. You pray that they would become more like Jesus Christ, Philippians 1.10, and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Be pure 
and blameless, that they'd become more and more like Jesus Christ. That's how you should pray for the people you love. How do we become pure? Now, we're going to talk about this next week. This is kind of a preview, how we can be joyful in circumstances, not the best circumstances, okay? James 1, 2, and 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So it says be joyful when bad things happen. We'll talk about that next week. But that develops maturity. But I just want to end our time together by saying to you that this works. That God gives supernatural joy. I'll tell you, the uh, last couple of weeks I've been getting ready for fall, heavy workload. Uh, last couple of days I haven't getting much sleep. And yesterday, I, or excuse me, uh, Saturday, Friday, that is. I was in a bad mood. <laughs> it just kind of all culminated. And I was tired and, you know, you know how you get in those negative patterns. And, uh, you know, I was sinning as well. <laughs> I was discouraged. I was saying, why God? You know, all that kind of stuff that you do. And uh, I said, Lord, man, I need your help. I need your help here. And I repented of my sin. And I said, God, just give me some joy. <laughs> And I tell you what, yesterday I experienced God's supernatural joy. I mean, nothing really had changed in my life from the day before. I still didn't get much sleep that night. But he gave me energy that, I mean, it had to be supernatural energy because it's not physical energy that I have, uh, at least yesterday. Uh, And I was just sitting there going over my message thinking, yeah, God delivers, man. (laughs) This is so cool because there is no explanation for it whatsoever. He delivers. When we're in pain, when we're struggling, when we're tired, when we're out of gas, God delivers, friends. So I want to challenge you to be here for every message of this series so that He might deliver more and more supernatural joy in your life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for this wonderful book. Of Philippians, and I pray that we'd experience the supernatural joy that you promise us. In Christ's name, amen. If we could have our ushers come forward at this time, we're going to give our gifts to the Lord as a way of worshiping Him, celebrating our 14th anniversary. I want to thank you for all of your generosity toward His ministry and uh, how your gifts have made such a difference in so many different lives. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for 14 years together. Thank you for 14 years of partnership. And Lord, we look forward to the next 14 years, which I know will even be more fruitful than the last 14 years. Thank you that you are the power behind this ministry. You are the hope behind this ministry. You are the head of this ministry. And we thank you for what you've done and what you are going to do. In Christ's name, amen.